John chapter 4, and when you get there, if you would stand with me, we're going to read, this is a very familiar passage, and in fact, I've brought a couple different lessons from it um, in the last few months, but as I was preparing some thoughts uh, during one of our personal evangelism Sunday school uh, lessons, I came across this verse, verse 29, we'll go ahead and let's look at that real quick, because this is where our message comes from, and then I want to read what led up to that statement. Um, not verse 29, it was verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And as I read that, I came across the thoughts that I want to share with you this morning for this message. I that speak unto thee am he. Let's begin in verse 1. When the Pharisees therefore, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, which near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which I am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall never thirst again, or shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto her, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when you shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we, worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What sayest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, 
Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is this not the Christ? Thank you. You may be seated. As we consider this verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, so think about after all the discussion and her saying, we know that the Messiah cometh. He had told her, I can give you that, um, uh, the water, the living water, which you'll never thirst again. And, and as their conversation developed and developed, it concludes, the, the culmination was, I that speak unto thee am he. He basically told her, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior that was to come into the world. What a profound statement. I want you to put yourself in that situation in a, in a physical aspect, is how... How impactful must it have been to be this woman of Samaria, or would it be for you to have the Son of God tell you, I am He. I am the one that was to come into the world, but to tell you on a personal level. Now, keep that in mind. I want to go to uh, two other passages in which there's a similar statement made, and we won't read as much, but go over to John chapter 9. There's more than one instance in in which Jesus told a lost man, I am he. In John chapter 9 and verse 1, we'll just read a few verses here at the beginning and then we'll go down to the end of the chapter. John 9, 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. And now we'll go down to the end of the chapter, verse 35, but I'll just summarize briefly the best I can um, what happened in between there. So he goes, by, he goes uh, to the pool, and he washes, and he came away seeing. And then there were his friends. If you are familiar with this passage, you'll remember they were his friends and his acquaintances and those who, had see, who, who knew him well. And they saw him walking and seeing, and they said, he appears to be like this man. And then others said, no, it really is him. Because it was so, it was something that had never happened before, that someone who was blind from birth could see. And so even though he looked like that blind man, some people were having a hard time registering for it to register that, no, it really is him. And he said, no, I, and then he confesses, I am him. And then he goes before the Pharisees. The Pharisees catch him, and they want to grill him, so to speak, on um, who who, who is this man who did this to you, and and so forth, and then they begin to challenge. And so the man begins to, I preached a message recently, how the man begins then to defend the Lord Jesus, even though he did not know him on a personal level, um, other than what we just read. But he, he began to realize that this man has to be of God. For he healed me, and this has never happened before. And so he concluded he must be a prophet. 
And then they, he concluded, he told the Pharisees that he's, he's without sin. He can't be a sinner to do these things. And then we finally get down to where the Pharisees kick him out of the temple. And it says here in, uh, in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Notice the response of this man. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord? So who is the Son of God? that I might believe on him. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him. And notice how similar this is to what he told the woman of Samaria. And it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And then the final example that I want to look at, we'll go back and look at these a little bit more later, but Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9 is where we read of the conversion of Saul, who became Paul, the apostle. And in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus and to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Saul said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. As we consider the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how it was that he spoke to these individuals and identified himself as the Messiah or the Lord Jesus Christ, I want us to consider uh, several things. But first of all, that we have a personal Savior. We have a Savior that we need to come to know on a personal level. And... Every person who has been born again, if you've been born again and you have a testimony of salvation, you, have, you know of a time in which you went from knowing about God, maybe having read him, whatever your background is, maybe you grew up without even ever hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ, but there was a time when you heard about him, but then there was a time in which you, God revealed to you and showed you who you were as a sinner but he also showed you who he was and that salvation is only in the lord jesus christ if you're here this morning i don't care who you are um, and i don't know all of you but if you are born again it is because you came you came to realize that jesus christ died for you personally and what I see in these passages is a demonstration and example if you will of how it is that when God speaks to a lost soul and there's that personal connection and he reveals that I am who you need I am your savior I died for you what we see here is that each one of these individuals was saved it's very clear that the woman of Samaria was born again the blind man was saved. Paul, of course, was saved. And when were they saved? They were saved. We have all this dialogue. The woman of Samaria didn't, we don't see evidence that she was saved and that she understood until Jesus said, I that speak unto thee 
am He. And people must come to know that Jesus Christ is their Savior, and they must believe on Him. And I want us to notice, secondly, that we have a proactive Savior. We don't have a Savior who's sitting on high, just waiting for the lost sinners to come to Him. In these passages, we see a proactive Lord Jesus Christ. In every one of these cases, when these people woke up in the morning, that eventful day, maybe this is how it was for you when you were saved. I know when I was saved, I did not wake up in the morning thinking this is a coming to Jesus day. I didn't have plans to be born again. I wasn't planning on being saved that day. And these people, when they woke up, it's obvious. The blind man, the woman of Samaria, and especially the Apostle Paul, was not planning on coming to Jesus that day. But he is a proactive Savior. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so these men woke up that day, then woman, they were spiritually blind, and one was literally physically blind. Just going about another day. The woman was going to the well outside the city to get water. A daily mundane task. There was no running water in the city. So this was something that she had to do every day. You have to go outside the city and you have to get water. And it was just, she, she was probably bored. It was just another task. She had no idea that she was going to meet the Messiah. The blind man was just going back to the street corner. It was just another day. Going back to the street corner to beg as he did every day. Saul, what was he doing? He was traveling to Damascus. It was nearing his journey's end. Most likely planned on beginning the next day. He probably had ideas on as soon as it gets, uh, as soon as uh, tomorrow morning arrives, we're going to start rounding up. He was going up there to round up Christians and bring them back to, he got permission from the priest to arrest the Christians and haul them back to Jerusalem. So he had plans. He was going to continue doing what he had always done. Which was, although he thought he was doing God's service, he in fact was accused by the Lord here for persecuting him. He says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He wasn't looking for Jesus. This causes me to consider the words of Jesus after saving Zacchaeus. Remember the the circumstances surrounding Zacchaeus? It says, Zacchaeus went out for to see Jesus for who he was. He was a curiosity seeker. So he went out, and he was small of stature, and so he climbed up in a tree so he could see Jesus as he was coming, passing by. And there, was, there were crowds there, and he, he got up so he could be above everybody else to see who Jesus was. That was his motivation for going out that day. But Jesus is the one who is proactive in the saving. And as Jesus is walking by, he looks up and sees Zacchaeus, in the tree, and he calls him by name right. and says, Zacchaeus, come down, for today I must abide at your house. It was something that had to be done. Yes. And so we see there, and then Jesus concludes that passage with Zacchaeus by saying, for the son of man. Now he was a, in the eyes of the Jews especially, he was a horrible sinner. And the religious people and the Pharisees were were murmuring and complaining because Jesus was eating with sinners and staying in the house of a sinner and so forth. And Jesus said, he concludes all of that by saying, for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. We have to understand 
that our Savior is a proactive Savior. I'm thankful that He is a proactive Savior. I was not going out of my way to find God. He came and found me. He's a kind and merciful Savior. A kind and merciful Savior. When I think about these interactions that He had with the blind man and the woman of Samaria and even Paul, think about the kindness that is there. The the loving kindness of Jesus. John chapter 4 begins in verse 4. It says, and he must needs go through Samaria. You ever consider why he needed to go? If it was written how we speak, it'd be, and he needed to go through Samaria. So he was going to go through Samaria. Well, why did he need to go through Samaria? The Jews didn't go through Samaria, but he needed to go through Samaria. Because there was the woman of Samaria that needed to meet him. And there were the people of the city who he was going to save. And so Jesus, being a kind and merciful Savior, was going out of his way to go deal with people that the Jews didn't normally deal with. And it says they came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. He purposed, it says he needs go through Samaria. And he purposed to go through Samaria. But did you know, as we consider the kindness of the Lord, he didn't have to do that. This is what I mean about him being a merciful God. He could have easily just gone another way. He didn't have to go there except that it was the eternal purpose of God, if you will. But we see here the kindness and the love of Christ. The apostles wondered, as we were concluding our reading of that passage, it says that they wondered why he spoke with this woman. Consider this. The apostles knew of the goodness of the Lord, the goodness of Jesus. They should, re- they should have been rejoicing any time he would take the time to talk to anyone. They should have been wondering, I wonder what's going to come of this. I wonder if he's going to save this one or if, it's going- or if he's going to go away sorrowful like the other man the rich young ruler. Or I wonder, you know, they, they should have been always so excited when he was going out of his way to talk to another person. But they were stuck. They came back from the city and they saw him talking to this woman of Samaria. And the Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. And now he's also talking with this strange woman. And uh, did you notice though that it says that they wondered why he talked to her, but they didn't dare paraphrasing, they didn't dare ask him why or what are you doing. But they did wonder, and it's recorded for us. But they, they, kept, they kept quiet about it, but they were wondering, what are you doing? And so um, we see that Jesus was going out of his way in doing this, doing something un, uh, out of the ordinary in talking to this woman. Concerning the blind man, we read, as Jesus passed by, He saw, he, it doesn't say as Jesus passed by, his disciples saw a blind man. Now the disciples commented on the blind man, but it says as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. So yes, the apostles asked a question concerning why was this man born blind from birth? Was it sin of his parents? Was it some other reason? Remember that that discussion that they had, but it was Jesus who first saw the blind man. And it says Jesus 
saw him. And uh, he saw the man who was blind from birth. Do we ever, do we read that this blind man begged to be healed? Now that we read in other instances where blind people um, came to him or people who were sick came to him, people who were sick were brought to him. But in this passage, we don't see that any of his friends brought him to Jesus. We don't see that the blind man begged for Jesus to heal him. In fact, there's another instance that's similar in some ways where Jesus healed a blind man, but he was brought to Jesus. Mm. Remember the, where he also mixed uh, spit and clay and put it on his eyes, but the, the process was different, and Jesus led that man by the hand out of the city. And in that, we can see the kindness of the Lord also. But in this one, it's different. There was no begging. Nobody brought him. It All we see is the passage opens up beautifully this way. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man. Which was, which was blind from birth. Amen. And so without even being asked in the interaction, what interaction there must have been with this blind man, we don't see the blind man asking, what are you doing? We don't see him asking, are you going to heal me? We just see Jesus proactively had love for this man, took time out of his day, if you will, and dealt with him in that way. But what's greater that we'll see later, we'll touch on. It's not that he took time and out of loving kindness gave him eyesight. But out of loving kindness he tells him later, I that speak unto thee am he. And then he spiritually saw who Jesus was. As we consider the kindness of Christ, how much greater is it that he died on the cross to bear the sins of those who believe on him? than that he healed one blind man, or he performed a different miracle here and there. Over 2,000 years ago, mankind was not clamoring. The world that Jesus came into was not clamoring for God to send his only begotten son into the world to die in their place. Man wasn't begging for that, wasn't looking for that. Now, there were some saints who by faith were looking for the Messiah to come into the world. But mankind as a whole isn't looking for a Savior. And oh, God sent His Son into the world 2,000 years ago to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And humanity wasn't begging and looking for that. We have a proactive God. And then we have what we see here, that is wonderful is the revelation of Christ to us. Mm. We see in these passages that Christ revealed to them who he was. I that speak unto thee am he. What a wonderful revelation. But we have a revelation of Christ also. Hebrews chapter 1. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. And this really is going to, how, how can we know anything about God? How can we know anything about Jesus? What we believe is not like so many pagan religions that are out there where their whole belief system is passed down by hearsay or word of mouth. Yeah. And it evolves and it grows and it morphs and, and so forth. And so, but since Christ came into the world, 
and going back much further than that, but we're talking about Christ revealing himself to us. Christ is revealed to us through the word of God. It's not that I heard a story from my grandpa who heard a story from his grandpa and this has been passed down by tradition. The story has great opportunity to change a lot, doesn't it? But what we have is the inspired word of God. And um, that's how we know about who our Savior is. Uh, Hebrews 1 verse 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now notice, he's spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, made, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. How does what he says... God in these last days has spoken unto us by his son. How do we have? Paul wasn't that far removed, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was not that far removed from the son of God being here, right? They were in that first generation. But how do we, how does this apply to us? He says he's spoken unto us in these last days, has spoken unto us by his son. What his son spoke when he was here was recorded for us. We have it. The very message that I'm preaching today is about what Jesus, how Jesus dealt with those people and what he told those people. And so we literally have the words that were spoken by Jesus Christ. And when Jesus told that woman and that blind man, and he told uh, Paul, I am... He whom thou persecutest. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But we, ha- we have that. And so what we have that is revealed, everything that we can know about our Lord Jesus Christ is revealed to us in the written word of God. We have such direct statements as this by Jesus. I could go on and on and on, and it would be an interesting study <laughs> about what he said about himself. But I'll just give these, and you know these. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and this goes for everyone who is here today, He that heareth my word, and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this, she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now, who was the person to whom he was speaking? It was Martha. And the context is that, you know the story of Lazarus and how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But this is when he was still in the, in the tomb. And Martha said unto Jesus concerning Lazarus, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection day or in the resurrection at the last day. And that's when Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And you tie this passage in with 1 Corinthians 15 and what it says about our hope and the resurrection and so forth. But what a wonderful thing it is that we can know of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that salvation comes 
when people hear the preaching of the Word of God. And they believe the promises that are given in the Word of God. And these people that Jesus is speaking to believed on Him when He said, I that speak unto thee am He. Have you ever believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever heard what was written or heard what was preached in the Word of God? Or do you hear what is even being preached today? And you say, I believe that. I identify with that. I've experienced what you're talking about. I know exactly what it is to be saved. I know what it is to have a personal Savior. I want us to consider as we close the result of meeting Jesus. Consider these people here. Jesus told them, I am he that speaketh unto thee. What happened? What did that cause? It led to obedience. In this, it led to three different things, and I want to look at three different things from each individual. Baptism. When people truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they just automatically, they're willing to submit to scriptural baptism. They want to identify with the Lord. And notice the words of Paul. It says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And this is after Jesus told him who he was. I am he whom thou persecutest. And Paul says, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would you have me to do? There's going to be an automatic and instant desire to want to please the Lord, obey the Lord. What can I do? And he said, and the Lord said unto him, first thing you need to do, arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. What was the first thing that he did? We know his, his situation was unique and that he was, he was struck with blindness. And Ananias, the Lord spoke to Ananias, but Ananias, um, he, he, he received his sight again, but then Ananias baptized him. And there's another, I won't go there for the sake of time, but it's interesting to read Paul's account later in Acts when he speaks. He's given his salvation testimony, and he says how it is that... Um, uh, when he met Ananias, and Ananias said, Brother, Brother Saul, uh, be baptized, and so forth. And so we see that he was obedient unto baptism right away. We, we also see that the result of meeting Jesus is that men confess the Lord Jesus before men. And that's exactly what the woman of Samaria did. That's right. When Jesus said, it literally, if we, let's look at that. Oh, in verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. Now remember, Jesus had told her earlier, go find your husband. Go get your husband and bring him back to me. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you've said properly, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and you're shacking up with the one that you're with. They were just living together. And, uh, oh, and so, but he had told her to go do that. Did Jesus in this passage, did Jesus ever say, well, you know what, since you have five husbands, let's just scratch that. That's, that's, that's ridiculous to have to go witness to that many people and bring them all to me. He didn't do that. He, Jesus never changed what his command was. And so what do we see then after Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And then go down, verse 28. The woman then, he said, I that speak unto thee am he. And there's no more dialogue between him and her. When she realized 
this is the Messiah. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, plural, come see a man which told me all things ever I did. I believed she witnessed to the city, but I believe when it says the men, he had told her to go get your husband, and I think she went and got all five husbands, <laughs> and probably the one that she was with, and then she started telling everybody. But I find it interesting, it doesn't say she went and told the city, it says she went and told the men. It doesn't say the men of the city, it just says she went and told the men. What we see here is obedience. He had told her to go, and as soon as she recognized this truly is the Messiah, and he has told me what my sins are, what kind of sin, she was convicted of her state as a sinner. He had told her, you don't know what you worship. He confronted her on all levels, and as soon as he said, I that speak unto thee am he, she dropped what she was doing and she went and confessed. Come see a man who told me all things ever I did. And so we see that the city then believed. And then the next thing I want us to notice is the result of meeting Jesus in a personal way. is proper worship. People who have truly met Jesus in this way have a desire to worship. Notice the response of the blind man again in, in John chapter 9 and verse 38. Let me turn over there real quick. John 9, 38. If we go back up to uh, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. See the response there? As soon as he said, I believe that you are the Son of God, he worshipped him. That's a proper response that we are going to have when we're born again. We considered in Sunday school, we were considering uh, what is spoken to us in uh, 1 Thessalonians about, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And everything give thanks. When people, people truly understand who they are, deserving of hell, condemned and lost, and they experience the salvation that Christ has given them, and they're born again, and then they begin to understand more about who God is in light of who they are. <laughs> and then they begin to understand more of the promise. They grow as a Christian, they understand more of the promises of God and all this. It, it brings us to a place in which we cannot help but worship Him. And He wants to be worshipped. He desires to be worshipped. I've mentioned it before, but Jesus never told anybody when He was here, when they properly worshipped Him and praised Him like this man did, He never told him, oh, get up, I'm just a man. No, He deserves it. He's worthy of it. He's the same Jesus in this passage is the same Lamb of God that we see in Revelation who all of heaven is worshiping. And so um, the proper response when we have met the Lord Jesus is going to be an attitude and a life of worship and it begins at salvation. We do have so much to be thankful for. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 says this as we close. Speaking to yourselves speaking of how we are to be as a church, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns 
and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we are to be doing if we have truly met the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's made himself personal and real to us. People who have never trusted in the Lord can sing songs of praise. There's a lot of people who attend church, and maybe they finally get saved. Maybe they grew up in church, and they were never saved. But there's a lot of lost people that sit in the pew and sing songs of praise. But they're not worshiping. They, you can sing the songs out of the hymn book and never worship a day in your life. And you know what? Even as a child of God, there's a lot of times that we show up to church and we're singing the song and we lose our place on what verse we're supposed to even be in. And it's not because we're so wrapped up in worship. It's because we're not worshiping. We're not actually thinking about the songs that we're even seeing. We're going to church and we're singing songs because that's what we do. And then we have a format. And, but listen, we need to be a people who worship the Lord. We need to be a people who understand what it is that we're singing about. And it has to be personal to us. We sing like lost people a lot of times. But lost people can close their eyes in prayer when the church prays. Or when they're with their family and they pray. But they personally have never communicated with God. But what a difference it makes when you have met Jesus and he makes himself so real in your heart that you can hear him say in a way that's similar to what he said to these people. I that speak unto thee am he. What a wonderful blessing it is to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ.